Well, my wife and I like to do premarital counseling. I don't even know how many couples that we've done premarital counseling with, but people that are um, encouraged about getting married. And so we, we've done a lot of that. And one of the ways in which we start out, usually the first week uh, when we start premarital, we ask about the couple and the relationship with one another. And then we begin to start, we just start the conversation with what is marriage? Is marriage just some contract that you make with one another that has all these stipulations and you can just bail on it or is it something greater than that? Is it a covenant? So we begin in Genesis 1 and 2 and we lay out what biblical marriage is for that couple and we walk through the idea that um, man was not meant to be alone but he needed a, a helper. We walk through the idea of covenant and how good marriage is. Um, how marriage points to something greater in the gospel. And we get to this passage in Genesis chapter 2, and it says, a, father, uh, a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And so there's often discussion about what that means to, to leave and cleave. And so I won't say people's names, who those people are, but in the course of that council, usually what happens even in the first week is couples start asking, well, what does it actually mean to leave and cleave? What does it mean to leave and cleave? Um, what if I have a great relationship with my dad and he is my counselor? Or a great relationship with my mom, should I, I stop pursuit of that relationship? And the answer is no. But then they grind down further and they often ask questions like this. What about when we have conflict in our marriage? Is it okay then for me to go talk to my mom, for me to go talk to my dad, because they're really close? So they understand the knowledge of the Bible, that it, the Bible says that you should leave and cleave, that there's this new dynamic, there's this new relationship that a couple has with one another, that they're leaving father and mother, but what does that really mean? What does that mean in conflict? Who, and, and, and one of the latest couples that we met with said this, the person said, in the relationship, what do we do in conflict? Should, and he was asking for her, because she has a relationship with her mommy. And he said, should we go to our mom and dad? And then, if not, who should we go to? What's required in that situation? How would you answer that question? When you have conflict in your marriage, should you go to your mom and your dad? And if not... Who should you go to? See, that, the answer to that question requires something other than just understanding and knowledge. It requires what God's Word will call wisdom. That's what we're going to talk about today, wisdom. Do you need wisdom in marriage? Do you need wisdom in parenting? Do you need wisdom in decision-making? Do you need wisdom with your money? Do you need wisdom with your business? Do you need wisdom and you fill in the blank? We need wisdom to guide us through life. And that's what we're going to talk about in James chapter 3 this morning. Turn in your Bibles, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And James is going to show us two different types of wisdom. Two types of wisdom. Man's wisdom or wisdom from below and wisdom from God. There is all kinds of practical application to this text today about how we live our lives, how we raise our kids, how we relate in conflict with one another, how we engage on social media, how we find the right news sources that are truthful. We need God's wisdom 
And this is where James is going this morning. He's going to differentiate God's wisdom from man's wisdom. Where they are from, which is different. The motivations behind the different types of wisdom that he explains. And the results of God's wisdom. And the final results of man's wisdom. So look with me. James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. And we will apply these truths this morning. They're super practical. Let me read it. James chapter 3. Um, 13 through 18. If you've got a Bible with you, it's page 1012, like last week. We haven't moved off that page yet. Here it is, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works, heard that before, in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic even. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But, here's a contrast, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is a great text for the world that you live in and I live in right now. Wisdom from above. Verse 13, look back at verse 13 and here's your idea out of verse 13. Wisdom is putting the truth to work in your life. It's putting the truth to work in your life. Look at it. Verse 13, who is wise and understanding? In James's day, the wise person was considered to be the one who was really smart. The one who had the pithy little quotes. The one who intellectually could understand things. The people that sat at the city gate and just talked about and philosophized about life. And then they went home and they lived a life different from that. It was intellectual. The Greeks of the day ruled the day. The philosophies of the day, they were intellectual. They were rooted around knowledge and understanding. The idea of understanding is that this person is a specialist. This person is an expert at something. So in James's day, that's the culture. The culture is, you're really wise if you're a philosopher. You're really wise if you're a rabbi. You're really wise if you're a teacher. You're really wise if you're a philosopher. Who is wise and understanding amongst you? By his good conduct, let him show his works. Here's what James is doing, and you see this all the way through the Bible. See, for the Hebrew in the Old Testament, wisdom wasn't just knowledge and understanding. It was knowledge and understanding applied to everyday life. Wisdom is putting the truth to work. Do you see it here? Show it. Show your wisdom and understanding by your good conduct. Show it by your good works. He's been going there before. So there's action to wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge and understanding applied for the Hebrew. And this is what James is getting at. He's a man of action. And this is what he's saying. James is saying that wisdom shows up in the way that you live. You know, you think about these things. You think about knowledge and understanding. You know, when you have, uh, teenagers know everything, right? When I was a teenager, my parents couldn't teach me anything. And then I went to college. They paid like 75 to 100 grand to send me to college. And what do you do in college? You get more knowledge. You get more understanding. 
and then you get out of college, and if you're a parent, maybe parents, any parents here who've gone through that whole process, sometimes what happens after college is you've got a kid that's really book smart, you've got a kid that even has some understanding, but he's an educated fool. He can't apply wisdom, she can't apply wisdom to life, and you just paid a hundred grand for it. And here's what happens. Oftentimes what happens is it takes about five years. Hopefully it only takes five. But when that kid gets a job and they have to get up at five in the morning and go to work every day and be under authority and then they have to pay for their own gas and their own insurance and then they come to the end of the first year and they have to pay taxes for the first time then life sets in and practical wisdom often manifests itself when they're about 30. Hopefully it happens before that. But this is what often happens. We don't apply wisdom to our life. We don't apply, excuse me, we don't apply knowledge and understanding to our life. You know, there was a father and a son back in the Old Testament. Solomon, you know some things about Solomon? Solomon was the wisest man on the earth. And in Proverbs chapter 2, you know what he's trying to do? Chapter 2 through chapter 7 or 8, you know what he's trying to do with his son? Listen up, sons, daughters. He's trying to impart wisdom as the wisest man in the world to his sons and his daughters. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. I think we have it here. Proverbs 2, 1 through 7. This is Solomon saying to his son, My son, if you receive my words, so that's the first part, receive it. That's a hard part. Will you receive my words? Will you let me teach you and treasure up my commandments with you? making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, so now you're seeing reception, and now you're saying, Solomon's saying, seek it out. If you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, because wisdom is hard to find, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. You often see this. Fear, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom all wrapped together. For the Lord gives wisdom. From the mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He shores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. So even Solomon is saying here, it's not just about understanding. It's not just about knowledge. It's about walking in integrity. There's action behind, there's application to understanding and knowledge. And that's how you get wisdom. This is what the Word says. And you see it, you see reception, you see a seeking after, you see a walking in integrity. And this is what James is saying, that we put the truth to work. Let me, let me try to illustrate this. Let's say you want more money. You're doing your bills. It's that time of the month where you're, you're doing your bills and, and you understand the data. You're saying, I need more money. That's knowledge. I need more money. Understanding is, if I had more money, I could do X, Y, Z. I could buy my wife a new car. I could invest in my kids for college. Maybe we shouldn't do that with the previous example. Sorry. That's understanding. But if you pray that all the time, you say, God, give me more money, and yet 
you're not applying those principles that you've just unpacked. I need more money. If I had more money, I could do this. Unless you're going to your budget and doing one of two things, if you're going to your budget and saying, what can I cut out? Instead of eating out five times a week as a family, maybe we ate out once or twice. Maybe we don't take that trip. Maybe we take this trip. Maybe if I spent less on golf clubs, then we could do that. So if you never apply that principle to changing something you're doing, then guess what? You're asking God for something and saying, I want more money. If I had more money, I could do this. But you're changing nothing about the way you spend money. You don't have wisdom. You ever been there? I really could use more money so I could do this, this, and this. But then I look back at the nice little pie chart on your bank statement. When you go to your bank, you got the pie chart of how much you spend on um, expenses for your house, expenses, entertainment, different things. So you're not applying wisdom with your money. And that just goes on and on and on. So you have understanding, you have knowledge, but you haven't applied wisdom to your life. Something has to change. And we wonder sometimes, for example, when we ask God for more, why he doesn't give it to us. If we can't steward what he's given to us, it's very hard for him to give us more. So, wisdom is putting the truth to work in our lives. It's not just dazzling facts about things. It's not just going through the HEB line and looking over and looking at the silly newspapers and magazines to give you some kind of understanding and wisdom. No, wisdom is putting the truth to work. But look, let's look at the contrast because the rest of the passage is a contrast. It's a contrast between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And this is what he's going to do for him. Here's your second idea in verses 14 through 16. Man's wisdom makes personal gain the end goal resulting in conflict or discord. Man's wisdom makes personal gain the end goal resulting in conflict or discord. Look at verses 14 through 16. Here's the contrast. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy, literally selfish zeal and selfish ambition selfish ambition is what it's I want to pursue this end for my purposes and I want to take in this context I want to take a group of people with me to my selfish ends selfish ambition it's self-seeking it's trying to get what you want in a situation to move the needle toward what you want selfish ambition so this is the motivation behind man's wisdom, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts because that's where it stems from. We talked about that with the tongue last week, that it stems from our hearts. That's where selfish ambition and jealousy root themselves. Do not boast or be arrogant and be false to the truth. Don't lie to yourself. Don't be deceptive. Selfish ambition, by the way, Christians can use selfish ambitions and put scripture all over it. So don't lie to yourself. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, meaning it comes from a limited vantage point. The stuff from the earth is a limited vantage point. It doesn't come from heaven. It doesn't come from God. It's just earthly. It's limited in its vantage point. It's limited in its effect. It's unspiritual. Literally, this is the word we get for psyche. The word we get for psyche is unspiritual, without the spirit. And then last, even James is saying this about man's wisdom. He's saying it's hellish. It's demonic. You know the passages in the Old Testament when people would seek the future and seek out wisdom and they would go to the necromancer 
effectively the psychic of the day and seek wisdom in the wrong place, man's wisdom. This is what's in view. So wisdom from below, man's wisdom, is earthly. It's unspiritual. It's demonic. And then he tells us the results of it. You reap what you sow, right? Heard that principle? Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, so he's helping us identify it, the result will be what? Disorder. That's what it says. Disorder and every kind of vile practice. The idea in this text of disorder is anarchy. Anarchy. This might apply to our world right now. Conflict. Anarchy. And it was usually used when it was used in Scripture. Jesus used it in Luke 21. He used it of someone wanting political gain. That will preach. I'm not going to preach that sermon. But he... But James' view, what's in view for James is not politics. What's in view for James is the church. It's in view of the church because no politics happens in the church, right? No selfish ambition manifests itself in the church, right? No bitter jealousy, no bitter zeal manifests itself in the church, right? This is what he's getting at. So he's describing man's wisdom its source is hell its motivation is bitter zeal or passion its motivation is ambition selfish ambition and it results in discord disunity conflict and sin in the in the church you know solomon we'll go back to solomon for a minute that wisest man in the world the book of ecclesiastes he looks and he observes and he sees all of man and he experiences all the world has to offer and what does he say at the end it's vanity it's worthless man's wisdom is worthless the fear of the lord is worthwhile and seeking him there's a man uh, story of a man that lived in the backwoods many many years ago the story of a man who lived in the backwoods and he came to town one day and this is a guy who liked to chop down trees he was a woodworker chopped down trees and he used his own saw no power to it used his own saw and he comes to home he comes to a hardware store and he's like I need a new saw so the salesman at the hardware store shows him the new chainsaw the power tool and he tries to describe the power tool and how great the power tool is and so the man buys the power tool and he goes back to the forest and a few days go by and he comes back to the salesman and he says this thing doesn't work I can't get this thing to work I usually chop down about five trees a day with my saw and I can't even saw through half a tree in a day so the salesman grabs the chainsaw to himself and he pulls the chain and it fires up and it's ready to go. And the man from the backwoods who's used the old tool, he's like, I didn't know I had to pull the chain. <laughs> he didn't pull the chain. He didn't use the power of the power tool because he reverted back to the way that he used his saw. You know what? Sometimes as Christians, here's what happens. We have the power of the Holy Spirit we have the Word of God in front of us. We have God's wisdom from above right here to delve into, to, to live by, to submit to. And we go back to the old tools. We have the new and we go back to the old. We revert, all of us revert back to man's ways and man's wisdom. Our way, not God's way. 
Are you still using that old wisdom when you have God's wisdom available in his word and through his spirit? And there are weeds and there are shrubs and there are all kinds of things growing in our lives that we've got to cut down. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word moving in our lives for this. And God gives us his wisdom. He gives us his wisdom in his word. And we're going to find out in a minute he gives us his wisdom stored up in his son Jesus. You know, man's wisdom for personal gain, you can think of a hundred examples of this. In your own life, in the culture we live in, I would say it this way. In our culture, do you see bitter zeal alive and well? Bitter passion in the streets today? Do you see discord, disunity, ranting? I mean, that's what sells clicks on every app that you have on your phone. Who's ranting the most? Who's most upset? Who's most most frustrated? That sells in the culture that you live in. You know, in the church, selfish ambition can destroy churches. It can destroy church leaderships. It can bring pain and pitfall. And rather than being servants in a church, what we tend to sometimes do, we tend to be members of a country club in a church. And asking for what we want. And in leadership, we often can go to a place where rather than being shepherds of a church, we become, we, we become senators. We become people elected by the people who have our little crew who want to make decisions in a church that benefit us. So the church is about shepherding and about serving. It's not a country club. It's not a political position. It's about being servants in the church. We've got to be careful. And in your personal life, if conflict is something that follows you around, maybe you need to attune your heart to James's words right here. And it also applies to our witness in a world. You know, it's a dangerous thing to have some knowledge about the Bible and be a Christian and have knowledge because if you have bitter zeal, when you're sharing your faith with somebody who's arguing with you, that bitter zeal can come out. It's important for us as we share the gospel with people and we live our lives before people. In our witness for Christ, as we live, as we talk about living on mission for Christ, to not do it out of selfish ambition, to not do it out of bitter zeal, but to have wisdom to be what James is about to say, to be gentle, to be open to reason. So, this is the wisdom of man. See, wisdom is putting the truth to work. We've seen the character of man's wisdom, but now I want you to see the best stuff. God's wisdom. I want you to see the source of God's wisdom, the motivation of God's wisdom, the characteristics of God's wisdom, and the result of God's wisdom lived out in your life. Look at it. This is glorious. Verse 17 and 18. Actually, I want to take you for a second back to 13, because if you read this text, one of the most interesting phrases in this text is out of verse 13. I didn't hit it up front. I want to hit it now. Look at it in the end of verse 13. Good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. That's a weird phrase. In the meekness of wisdom. He He used the word meek in the last chapter in receiving the implanted word, that we need to receive the word with meekness or gentleness. You know, the word meek and gentle get a bad rap in the English language. I was at a counselor um, in college, and I remember at the end of camp, 
what you do, a lot of camps do this, at the end of camp, you give a characteristic for a kid and you present it and all the parents are standing around and there was this boy in my cabin and, and he exhibited this strength under control, which is what meekness and gentleness actually is biblically. And I said, you know, I know I'm worried about giving him this characteristic, but I did it anyway and I described it. And after I did, about 10 minutes after I did, and you know, all the parents are there and all the kids are in front and you're giving them, you know, their character traits and you're talking about them. And about 10 minutes later, a guy on staff came to me and he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why did you give him meekness? I'm like, you gave me the list of 100 characteristics to pick from and I picked this one and here are my biblical reasons. And he goes, you got to change it. The dad is so mad. And I did can describe what's wrong but we miss it when you look at the Bible and the Bible says meekness here's the picture here's actually the picture here Do you remember the horse and the bridle and, and the bit in the previous passage here's the picture of meekness and gentleness in the scriptures it's this strong wild horse that has been tamed strength under power in control controlled strength that's the idea of meekness. So when you read meekness or gentleness in the Bible, it's not weakness. It's strength under control. So read it that way. Look at it. Meekness of wisdom. See, what happens sometimes when you have information, when you have a lot of knowledge, and you have a lot of understanding that you've gained, you tend to be proud about it. And he's saying here, that godly wisdom is strength under control. You see that in the life of Jesus at every turn. So meekness. So God's wisdom makes humility the end goal and it brings stability. You know the person in your life that is strength under control? You got that guy or that lady who you go to? Man, they're wise and they have strength, but it's under control. They're not ranting about it. The latest thing is strength under control. See, God's wisdom makes humility and submission to God the end goal resulting in stability and peace. But look at it in verse 17 and 18. Look at all these characteristics that I would put under the category of submission or humility. See, wisdom from above, the contrast in verse 17, is first pure. It's the opposite of selfish. It's the opposite of self-seeking. It's pure. It's without self, selfish motives. That's the idea of her. And he says first because that affects everything else. If you look at context, if you look at selfish ambition, verse first, pure, without self-seeking, without selfish motive. And then it's peaceable, gentle. Remember what I said about gentle and its meaning. Open to reason. Wow. <laughs> we could preach a sermon about that. Am I open to reason when I post something on Facebook to hear another perspective? You know, it's neat to see some people on social media to go, help me understand. I really do want to understand. Help me understand. And then there's a question. That's open to reason. But oftentimes we say, no, this is true and this is right. Face mask or no face mask. Open to reason. There's a humility 
in being open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits. This sounds like the Beatitudes, a lot like the Beatitudes. It sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. It sounds a lot like the fruit of the Spirit. He draws from that. It's impartial. He's already mentioned that in chapter 2. It's sincere. It's honest. See, what happens with selfish ambition is what? We will lie, steep, cheat, and steal to get what we want in selfish ambition. It's sincere. It's honest. So you see the massive contrast. But look at the result. This is beautiful. Look at the result in verse 18 of God's wisdom being laid out in our life, being pursued in our life, in humble submission to Him. Look at what you see. You see harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Remember, this is an agrarian society, so they would look at this and think about their crops. They would think about the crops that they're, and what does it take to grow crops? It takes a, a lot of time and care. And so all these characteristics are time and care. So what you get in the end, when you pursue God's wisdom, that has to be pursued in the right context, in the right way, crops flourish, crops grow in the right conditions. And these are the right conditions for what? Peace. The result is peace. Think about the contrast, disorder, anarchy, from selfish ambition, from humility and submission to God. The end result is peace. The end result is stability. We could use some of that. You know, all these characteristics are good to pursue, but the Bible talks not just about pursuing characteristics, not just about a philosophical idea of God's wisdom, But the Bible speaks about a person who personifies wisdom. Colossians chapter 2, I want you to see it. Colossians 2, verses 2 and 3. That their hearts might be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Here it is. In Christ, in whom are hidden, speaking of Christ, All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You see, God is wisdom. And His Son is the personification of wisdom. And if you want to look for treasure, you want to look for wise treasure, wisdom, and knowledge, you find it in the person of Christ. The Scripture also says about Christ, because of Him, you are in Christ. He has become for us the wisdom of God. It gives us righteousness and holiness and redemption. This is the truth of the gospel. Do you know the gospel? Do you know the good news of Christ? That there's no way your own wisdom can ever get you or merit you favor with God. It can't forgive you of your sins. It can't do anything for you. No matter how smart you are, no matter how many times you come to church, no matter what you do, But Christ has become that wisdom for you and He died in your place that you might have life and you might have wisdom lived out. This is the gospel. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation like this. I have. There's two guys that were, one guy was a Christian, one guy wasn't and he said this, the the non-Christian said it this way, all you Christians are brainwashed. And the Christian replied, everyone's brainwashed, we've just chosen who we want to wash our brains. So you're brainwashed by your parents, you're brainwashed by your college professors, you're brainwashed by CNN or Fox News or whatever flavor you like. You're brainwashed. Just who are you going to have wash your brain? 
C3, that's a question we have, I have for you this morning. Who are we letting wash our brains? Is it the Word of God? Is it Christ who's the treasure of wisdom and knowledge? You can tell by the result. That's what the, James is saying. You can tell by the result. Wisdom from above evidences what in our lives? It evidences peace in relationships. It evidences peace with your spouse and your kids and your work and your church. Not perfectly. We're, we're a work in progress. This is what he said last week. We all stumble. But that's God's wisdom, evidence of God's wisdom at work. So maybe you're wondering, what did you say to that couple? What did you say to the couple when they said, hey, can my mom or my dad be the person I go to when we have conflict? And I said, well, generally, you want someone who is going to be impartial. <laughs> you want someone who is, cares more about your marriage than they do about pleasing you. Can, so I asked the question back to them. Do you think your mom or dad can be partial, impartial? If you come to your mom and you say, he did this, you know what's going to happen about four Christmases from now? Still, you're going to get the evil eye. So maybe when you have conflict with your spouse, what you ought to do is find somebody outside of your mom and dad. That was my general wisdom to him. Maybe you should do it that way. But the premise of that was you want somebody who cares for the marriage, who's not going to be blinded. I'll tell you right now, if my daughter gets married and some knucklehead does something, I'm not going to be the right person for her to come to. And the second thing I said to them was this. If not, because they asked a really good question, if not mom and dad, who? You need to find someone in your life that cares more about your marriage than they do about being your cheerleader when you're frustrated at your spouse. You need somebody to sympathize. You need somebody to empathize with you. You need to do that. But you need somebody that's wise enough they can look at you and care more about your marriage than they do about pleasing you. You said, well, thanks, Seth, for the wisdom. I might not have done it that way. You've told me about wisdom and action, that it's action. You've told me about God's wisdom. You've told me about man's wisdom and how to know. You've told me some characteristics of it. But how do I cultivate wisdom in my life? How do I do that? James gives you one answer. The first answer is this, ask for it. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, ask for wisdom from God and he will give it to you. Proverbs 4, 7, really profound. Solomon says, you know the first step of wisdom? Are you ready for it? Get it. Pursue it. Ask for wisdom. Ask God for wisdom. Let me give you another one. Abide in Christ. He is the treasure. He is wisdom. Abide in him. Abide in his word that you might know him. Let me give you another one. Find an older person in your life. Job chapter 12 says this. Job 12, 12 says, Is not wisdom found in the aged? They've lived long life. They have wisdom. Is there anybody in your life that's a little further down the track than you that you can go to and say, What do you think about this? This is practical wisdom. 
to have somebody that you trust. Meekness of wisdom. Someone who is strength under control. That can give you wisdom for your life. Those are all good things. Those are all practical things, I think, that you can pursue. Ask God. Abide in Christ. Find somebody older. But I promise you, you won't do that unless you do the last thing. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. And you see it all the way through the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let me illustrate. When you're driving out of here and you're driving on 1488 or wherever you go to go home today, and you get off a co or research and you're driving and you see a police officer on the side of the road, what do you do? Immediately, innately, you take your foot off the gas and you put your foot on the brake. Even if you're not speeding, I do this. If you don't have your seatbelt on, you give it one of those, you know, just like... You see it? Yeah, it's right there. Why do you do that? You do that because there's an authority sitting there. You fear that authority. You hope that authority doesn't pull you over. Listen, fearing God. Here's what happens sometimes as Christians. We just blow by. Yeah, I see God there. I'm going to live my life in my own wisdom. Listen, we're not going to ask God for help if we've got it all figured out. We're not going to abide in the riches of Christ if we've got our own treasure over here that we really want and we really like. We're not going to seek out that older person in our life who's lived longer and has more understanding and wisdom and knowledge if we think we've got it all together. We've got to fear God. Let me say it this way. Here's your takeaway. A heart submitted or a heart yielded, a heart yielded to Christ or submitted to Christ is the pathway to cultivate wisdom. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask you for wisdom because we don't have it in and of ourselves. We've got to look for wisdom from above that you give freely to us through your word, by your spirit, in your son who is the treasure of all wisdom and understanding and knowledge. So Lord, I pray that we would seek Christ. I pray that we would choose this day to yield ourselves to Christ and who He is and what He has done for us. Make us a dependent people. We love you and we thank you for a time to gather that we could open your word. We think, thank you for how practical your word is today and the wisdom of life in the day-to-day when we don't have a chapter and a verse sometimes for the particular situation, but there is so much in your word that we can go to and understand the principle and ask for your wisdom through your spirit by your word. We love you and thank you for time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.